Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. And I'm really glad you're here. It's like awesome to like actually see all of you. This is uh this is an incredible experience for me. And um I just want you to know, um I uh just on a personal note, um you know Reb Shlomo, my, my teacher Reb Shlomo Karlbach, uh once said about the Torah that y- you have to need it to live. That it's not um it's not just uh something that you study. That it's more than that. It, you, those words have been echoing in my mind ever since he said them. You, you have to need the Torah to live. And, um, you know, I, I don't know where I would be without, without the Torah, um, without Hashem. And, and so, so, so when, when I have this opportunity to, to share Torah thoughts, I never feel like I'm teaching, um, if I felt like I was teaching, then I probably wouldn't give any of these classes, by the way. Um, I'm, I'm just sharing. I, I'm just... So what, what I'm trying to say is, is that, that I, I'm, I want to thank you, everyone, for, for just giving me this opportunity to take all this stuff that's inside of me and, 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 and having the ability to share it with you. So... so you are you're giving me life by by giving me this opportunity to share. So I just I really want to thank you. And you know, those of you who have listened to these talks in the past know that I always begin with with saying I'm glad you're here. But I, I want you to know I really mean that. I really mean that because if you weren't here, I wouldn't be able to do this. And and so a, a large part of my life couldn't take place. So so. Um, so with that in mind, uh, I, I don't know how long this sort of quarantine is going to last. So if um, if you want to take place in this sort of this the, the video live aspect of this talk, um, please uh, subscribe. Uh, the 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 tab is um, uh, Torah T O R A H on iTunes I T U N E S. That's my private site. Dot com, TorahOnitunes.com, and you'll see on the menu bar you can subscribe, and there you'll get the link, and then we'll continue to do this, you know, until um, you know, for for as long as you know, as for as long as we think it's a good idea. Okay, uh, so let me just begin with one of my favorite Hasidic stories, and um, you know, this this story gives me a lot of strength, and I think this is one of those stories that contains all of life. Okay, so you ready? All of life is contained in this story, in my opinion. Okay. So, um, you know, during his day, the Rishoner Rebbe was the dean of, of the Hasidic Rebbe's. All the other Rebbe's would come to see him. And um, he had uh, a bunch of sons. I believe it was four sons. Maybe it was five sons. And they all became big Hasidic Rebbe's. Okay. The Chortkover Rebbe, the Sadagori Rebbe, the Biana Rebbe. These were all sons of the Rishoner Rebbe. So th- th- this story takes place when the short cover Rebbe, who grew up to be a very big Rebbe, was still a little boy. And he was outside his father's um, office and his father was seeing, you know, people, you know, who needed help and, and blessings and things like that. And he noticed the the little boy, he was, he was like young, he was just maybe five, six years old, whatever it was. 
The short cover Rebbe is like playing with a ball outside in this lobby, you know, with all these people waiting to see his father. And he notices there's one man, and this man really looks terrible. I mean, like really, really bad. Like the entire world is falling apart. And, you know, he kind of takes notice, like, wow, that guy's in rough shape, you know. And he sees that uh, this man walks in to see his father, the Rishina Rebbe, and he comes out and he's like shining. And the little boy, you know, the short cover Rebbe, the young short cover Rebbe is like amazed. And he, he comes up to this man and he says, what did my father say to you? And this man says, your father said, Hashem will help. And the little boy says back to him, what are you going to do until Hashem helps? And he sees the man's face falls. And he says, go in, go back in and ask my father. So he goes back in and he comes out of the Rishoner's office and his face is shining again. And the boy says, what did my father say? And he says, your father said, until Hashem helps, Hashem will help. So that, that's the story. And I really believe that all of life is contained in that story. Hashem will help. And until Hashem helps, Hashem will help. <laughs> that's it. This is our lives. This is our lives. Now, in order, let's go deeper. Let's go deeper. Because we have to really understand how this works, Okay. So um, I got a, a WhatsApp just uh, about, you know, maybe a half an hour ago from my, my brother-in-law, who's a Talmud Chacham in uh, Mexico City, Jorge Davidson. And Jorge uh, shared with me something that he had learned from Rabbi Moshe Shapiro, Olav Shalom, um, from, from the Zohar. And the Zohar says that, that God created light, okay, and that light, what is light? Light is amuna. Light is faith. Okay? So God created light, and light is faith. So how does that, how does that work exactly? And um, oh, I want to I wanna try to... Try, how are you? Oh, okay. Yes, how are you? Hi, we've got a new participant. Can I can I ask you to to mute yourself? Is that possible? If you just kind of look in the corner of your screen, you'll see a little mute button. You can mute yourself. Okay, awesome. Um, so, so, uh, so we want to explain this idea that really, right at the beginning of all of creation, God created light, and light is faith. So. So how do we understand that? So there's a new docudrama, a docu-series on HBO. I'm not recommending that you watch it necessarily, but uh, I just want to give this an example, a here and now example of what does it mean that light is faith? Because we've got all sorts of crazy ideas about what faith is. We think that faith is something extra that we're making up. You know what I mean? It's sort of like there's reality, and then there's faith. And, you know, you know, let's be real. What's real is real. If you want to believe in belief somehow is less real than reality. Okay, this is how we think. It's a very cynical way of thinking. 
And it's also actually a very incorrect way of thinking. And, and we, we, need to, we need to really understand what's going on. So I'm going to give you this example. And, and I think, hopefully, God willing, this is going to help us. So this, this docu-series that's on HBO right now, it's called Macmillions, okay? And uh, McDonald's, the McDonald's hamburger chain, had a, uh, a big um, sweepstakes for many, many years in America. Maybe it was outside of America, too. I don't know. And it was, um, it was a Monopoly giveaway. So what they would do is they would give away these game pieces. And, you know, you'd buy French fries or a soda or a hamburger or whatever it is. And then it would come with this game piece. And then you'd pull off the tab and you'd see maybe you won a million dollars. And, um, and the crazy thing is what this, what this series is, is about is that for years and years, they ran this thing where McDonald's was giving away legitimately. They were actually honest and they really were keeping to the rules. They were giving away millions and millions and millions of dollars, except the mafia penetrated their 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 inner workings without McDonald's knowing it. And they got all the million dollar uh, prizes and they were giving them out to their friends. And, and, you know, at a certain point, investigators were noticing things like the fact that the only people who were winning the million dollar prizes were people with Italian last names who were living on the East Coast of America. Right. So certain things started to go wrong. There were certain tip offs. Anyway, um, as you can imagine, there are always dishonest people out there. And uh, eventually they got caught, by the way. But there are large varieties of dishonest people out there. And you can imagine that people would be tempted to, um, to fraudulently manufacture a game piece that, that looked like a winning piece. And, you know, with... Um, you know, with, with, with technology today and, and everything like that, you could very accurately duplicate this game piece and you could send it in and you could say, I'm a winner. So how would they know? And we're getting to the point here about light and faith and why faith is more real than real. Okay, we're getting there. We're almost there. How could the people, the judges, tell the two game pieces apart? In other words, they, they look exactly alike. One is real and one is fabricated. All right. So, so here's the cool part. This is why I'm telling you this. So there was a marking that they would put on the real winning game piece, the legitimate game piece, that you couldn't see with your naked eye. And they would take the piece that had been sent in and they would hold it under an ultraviolet light, and there would be certain markings there. And if the game piece that got sent in didn't have those markings, which were not visible to the naked eye, then that was fraud. Okay? And those people would be, you know, those people would be in trouble. So, so let's, let's kind of, let's review what, what we just said here. The thing that was really real, the true piece had markings there that made it real, but which you couldn't see with your naked eye. And that was the truth. They were there. They existed. 
but you couldn't see it. But they were 100% there. And those were the real ones. The other ones were not the real ones. Those were the real ones. So, so from this, I think we see something, hopefully an explanation of what the Zohar was saying, that light is faith. See, light means clarity. But if you want to have ultimate clarity, you can't just depend on your eyes. Because reality is deeper than what we can just see with our eyes. If we really, really want to see the truth, we have to put on these special glasses. And you know what these special glasses are called? Emuna, faith. But this is allowing us to actually see what's there, what's really there. In other words, it's not like the cynics say that, oh, faith is just you applying your own beliefs and superficially putting them on what's real. It's not true. Faith is allowing you to strip away what's false and to see actually what's there. That's what's going on. That's what it means, light is a muna. That if you actually want the clarity, if you actually want to see the light, if you actually want to see the truth, you have to look beyond just simply what you can see with your eyes. Now, let me give you another example. Imagine, imagine you go to a movie with a friend and it's a thriller, right? Like, who done it? Who, who is the person who, like, really is responsible? And so, you know, you're watching the movie and, it, you know, the, the authors make it look like it's this guy. So you start following him and it's like, oh, no, 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 it's not. So it's got to be that girl. So you start following that. Ah, nah, it's not that one. And they keep you in suspense the entire time. And at the end, they tell you who, who it was, right? Who was who the real one? Now imagine you're sitting with me at the movie theater, and I hope you don't have a friend like this, and your friend whispers to you, I know who did it. <laughs> I, I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to tell you right now who did it. And you tell them, and you're right. And after the movie, they say to you, you know, how did you know? Did you see this movie before? And you're like, I didn't see the movie before. Well, then how did you know? And you know how I knew? Because I read the script before I went to the movie. <laughs> That's how I knew. The Torah is the script of human history. The Torah is the script. The prophets are the script. This is the script. We know how this story ends, guys. We know how the story ends. The story ends with the revelation of God's oneness in the world. That's how it ends. We know how it ends. We know that there's a happy ending to creation. We know. You know why? Because God gave us the script and we read ahead. <laughs> and that allows us to see actually what's there. Do you, do you understand that? 
we're not, we're not, oh, you're a believer. You, you want to think that this is going to happen. No, 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 no. We actually, with our eyes of Amuna, are actually seeing through to what really is happening. So this is, this is an extreme privilege. This is an extreme privilege. And it allows us, it allows us to, to, to know that ultimately that what's going on is for the good. So, so I want to repeat this. Everyone who's asking me and even people who aren't asking me, I'm telling them anyway. People are sort of like, everyone wants to know, what do you think is going on? What do you think is going on? So I'll tell you what I think is going on, Okay. I think that God is doing something absolutely unbelievable with the world right now. I think he's doing something incredibly good right now. Unbelievably good. Because God is good. Okay? So, so but here's the thing. And, and this gets deep. This gets deep. So, you see... If a person doesn't have vessels, if the world doesn't have vessels to receive the good, then it can manifest itself even as calamity. You see, it's so what I've been praying and and I I urge you all to if you like this idea that you should put this into your prayers. I'm this is what I'm praying every day. I'm praying please God. You see you see, there are two types of good. There's, there's the good that, um, that we understand, and then there's the good that we don't understand. But the good that we don't understand isn't any less good. It's just that we don't have vessels to receive it. So you know where we, um, where we display this, this idea of the two goods all the time? Every year at Rosh Hashanah. Have you ever noticed that we wish each other a good, sweet year? Lashana tova mituka. Mituka means sweet. Did you ever wonder why we eat honey on Rosh Hashanah? Why we dip the apple in the honey? Because what we're asking for on Rosh Hashanah, we say, God, you're good. Everything you do is good. But what we want is the, the sweet good, the revealed good. And so this is what I'm praying to God every single day. I'm praying, please, God, I know you're doing good. I know you're doing amazing good right now. Please, God, may you reveal the sweetness of all of the good that you're doing right now so that we should be able to receive it and understand it and that we should be able to have vessels to receive it and expand our vessels, please, God, so that we should be able to receive all of this good that you're doing right now. So, so I want to talk on a practical level. You know, the, the official name of, the, of these talks that I give, um, it's called Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. So, so I always want to um, give practical tools, okay? And, and so how do we, you know, when we talk about vessels and expanding our vessels, it's very real. It's very real, but it's, it's a little bit abstract, it's a little bit esoteric. So I want to talk in a very real way. What does it mean to um, expand your vessels? Okay. And I, I want to quote Rabbi Manus Freeman. Um, please um, 
If you haven't seen the five-minute video that he put out, it's awesome. It's awesome. And I, I, I sent it out. I took a risk. I normally kind of like when it comes to the people I work with, I, you know, if, if they want to talk to me about this stuff, I'm very happy to talk to them about it. But I don't, you know, I don't try to sell it, you know. But that video was so good. I sent it to really some of the top agents in in the world. And two of them called me to personally thank me and to tell me that they're sending it out to everyone. All right, which was like highly unusual. Okay, this video is so good, and Rabbi Friedman says it. Friedman says it so clearly, and I, I want to quote him. He says that the world is shutting down all of our practices. Right, all of our habits have been canceled. And then he says, we've actually believed that what life is about, um, wait, wait, I wrote this down, that we actually believe that what life was about, that life was about going to school, going to work, um, going to parties, going to a theater, going for some entertainment, going for some shopping. And he says, that's life. Now we're seeing it's not. So, so this idea that we're getting out of our habits, that this is canceling our habits is, is huge. This is a huge, 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 huge idea. Um, I want to I want to direct you to um, an amazing pasuk and and share with you the Berdichever Rebbe, um, Rev Levi Yitzchak's um, insight into it. It's if you want to look it up, it's in Sefer Shmos, the Book of Exodus, chapter three, verse five. Okay, now the whole. Um, the whole uh, redemption from Egypt, and by the way, the Zohar says that all future redemptions are going to be based on the um, on, on us being freed from 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 Egypt. Okay, so so everything about the uh, the leaving Egypt is, is true for all times, but especially at the time of the redemption. Okay, so the whole beginning of being freed from the redemption starts with this amazing, amazing, amazing conversation that God has with Moshe at the burning bush. So that's like ground zero of, of the redemption, okay? And so there are a lot of lessons that we can learn from it. And one of them, the Kedusha Slavi, the Berdichever Rebbe says, is about getting out of our habits and how that's tied to the redemption of us individually and to the redemption of the world. Now, now, I can't go into it without uh, without just telling you one of my all-time favorite Torahs, just as an introduction um, about the burning bush from Rav uh, Matasyahu Solomon, the spiritual head of the Lakewood Yeshiva here in America. It's a very, very, very big, very big responsible post. Um, so that's like the Torah center of America in terms of Torah learning, right? So so he's the head of that, um, uh, the spiritual head of it. So. So he said the following, 
he asked a great question, a fantastic question. Everybody knows that when Moshe sees the burning bush, Moshe walks up to it, and then God says to him, take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. So you could ask a question, and, and he does ask this question, which is that, why didn't Hashem say, take off your shoes before he stood on the holy ground? Right? Do you hear the question? It's a very, very logical question. In other words, why did God wait for Moshe to do something wrong, so to speak, stand on this holy ground, and then tell him, you know, Moshe, this is holy ground. You really should take off your shoes. Okay, you hear the question. So Rabbi Solomon says something unbelievable. He says that why did Moshe go toward the burning bush? And if you want like a very powerful bit of imagery for what it meant for this bush to be on fire, but not to be burned, I came across one detail which changed the entire, the entire experience for me recently, which is that the green leaves of the bush did not burn. They did not turn brown, <laughs> okay? And that changed everything for me. I'm a visual guy. So, so I'm asking you right now, if you want to close your eyes or whatever it is, but just imagine this green bush, this green leafy bush on fire, and the green is remaining green amidst the fire, right? Now you have a sense of just how crazily miraculous this vision was. It wasn't a vision. It was, it was reality, okay? So, so Moshe, like, sees that, and it's like he, he's got to know what is going on. It's like this is going to be a, a, a key to him to unlock some of the mysteries of the universe. He wants to know more. What is this world? Who is God? Who am I? And so he goes closer to investigate it. Now listen to what Rabbi Solomon says. He says, because Moshe wanted a better sense of what the truth was, that's why the ground became holy. In other words, it was Moshe's act of investigating truth that turned this ground holy. Do you understand how this is a, an answer to our question? We asked, why didn't God say before he stood on the ground, Moshe, take off your shoes because you're going to stand on holy ground. And the answer is the ground wasn't holy yet. Moshe made the ground holy by wanting to come closer to God, by wanting to come closer to truth. And then once that happened, God says, okay, now the ground's holy. Now you got to take off your shoes. Okay, so that's an introduction for the Kedusha Slevi, for the Berdichever Rebbe. Now we're going back to Sefer Shmos, verse, free, verse 3, verse 5. And God says, God says, take off your shoes. All right? Remove your shoes. Now, um, or I'm, I'm sorry, remove your shoes from your feet. That's what it says. Remove your shoes from your feet. So, Nahalecha is Hebrew for your shoes. Okay? And the Berdichever Rebbe says that that shares the same root as the Hebrew word ni'ila, which means locked. Okay? 
and raglecha, your shoes, that shares the same root as the word regal, your habits. So now, remember, now we're going to put it all together. This is awesome. This is awesome. Remember, this is ground zero. This is the beginning of the redemption. The first thing that Hashem says to Moshe is unlock your habits. Remove your habits. Right? Take off your habits. Remove your shoes from your feet on a deeper level. Your shoes means the locks. Your feet means your habits. Remove, unlock yourself from your habits. That's the first thing that God says to Moshe. That's what's going on in the world today, friends. People are having their habits removed from them. All over the world. You know, um, I mean, just there's this is just one of many, many types of Zoom calls that are going on. I'm, I'm sure this isn't, for most of the people who are on this, I'm sure this isn't your first one. I, I've, I've been giving this talk on Sundays for, I don't know, 15 years. I think this is the second one I've done like this. This is for sure removing me from my habits. And this is all over the world. We have people from Los Angeles here. I see people from Argentina, from Israel, right? I'm sure other places. If you're, if you're in another place in the world, then you, you can enter it in the chat thing below. I, I'd be curious just to know. Just, just enter it in. Um, so, so this is the deeper level. This is the deeper level. Hashem only does good. Hashem only does good. We've got Pittsburgh. We've got Florida. We've got Baltimore. People are, people are typing in. Um, Barrington, Illinois. Wow, that's cool. So, so, so how can we make, how can we make vessels to receive this light? And the answer is, is by taking the shoes off our feet. Or as the Kedushas Levi explains, God is communicating on a deeper level to remove our habits. Once you remove your habits, and that can be habitual thinking, that can be cynicism, that can be thinking that the definition of life is school and work and parties and shopping and entertainment. You expand your consciousness at this point. And when you expand your consciousness, you begin to see that the only thing that exists is God. That's all that exists. Okay. So I want to go deeper now. I want to go deeper into this idea. 
I want to connect some ideas. And um, one of the things that I want to talk about is we said that light is a muna, right? That 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 if you really want to have clarity, you have to be able to see beyond. And I want to talk about really what our ultimate source of light is, what our symbol of light is in Torah, and that's the golden menorah in the Beis Hamikdash. I want to talk about a, a, a deep idea in that, and I want to talk about what we perceive to be as nature. Okay. So a lot of ideas, a lot of ideas coming. <laughs> God willing, I should say them clearly. Okay. Let's, let's begin. Let's begin. Here, I'm going to just make a note of that so, so that we don't get lost. Okay. So we're going to talk about the menorah. I'm going to talk about Abraham getting thrown into the fire. We're going to see what that's all about. Okay, and I want to talk about a hint from this past week's Parsha about nature. Okay, so we just read Parsha's um, Vayakel Pekude, and this is the end of Sefer Shmos, the end of the book of Exodus, okay, also known as the book of redemption. And I noticed, I noticed one thing, just a little remez, a little hint that I thought was interesting which is if you take the, we, we read both of those Parshas together. And if you take the first letter of Vayakel, that's a Vav, and you take the first letter of Pekude, that's a Pe, and you add them up, the gematrias of those two things, it adds up to, well, Vav is the number six and Pe is the number 80. That adds up to 86. And I thought, wow, that's kind of interesting because there's a giant word in Torah, which is the number 86. And that's a name of Hashem, Elohim, which stands for nature. I thought, wow, that's, that's interesting. That all of Shmos, the whole book of redemption, is leading up to this little hint about the word nature. And of course, the whole idea of building this Mishkan, building this tabernacle, is to transform the entire world into a dwelling place for God. It wasn't just about a building. That, that's it on a very specific micro level. But, but as the Ramban says, it's a much more expansive idea. The whole idea of leaving Egypt, leaving our habits, receiving the Torah, is to turn the entire world into a dwelling place for God. Okay, so why would the word nature be the symbol of that? Because a lot of us have this schizophrenic relationship with the world. We think that God lives in heaven and we're on earth. Well, God's up there somewhere. Where? I don't know. He's in heaven. And I'm here on earth, code word, nature. That nature is this separate power from God. And I exist in this bubble called nature. And if I think real hard about God, maybe he'll siphon a little blessing down to me through this alien territory called earth or nature. And I'll just kind of hold on to that thread. But, but nature, which is the word in Hebrew, hateva, is also gematria 86. 
is also Elohim, right? It's also this name of God. Because here's the headline, folks. You ready? There's no such thing as nature. (laughs) I'll say it again because, you know, this is like one of those pieces of information that separates the, uh, you know, the rookies from those people who are enlightened. Wow. That's a big word, right? You want to be enlightened? Here it is. Crash course in enlightenment. In one sentence, there is no such thing as nature. It's, it's all God. You know, I, I've told you guys a bunch of times, if you, those of you who listen to these talks, that you got to learn Torah every single day. And even if you just have like one of these books and you just open up and you read two lines, it can change your life. So one of these days, I was really rushing. I had no time. I picked up the, the new Reb Shlomo book, um, uh, the book of love and prayer. Everyone's got to get it. ZV Richie put it out. It's $10 on Amazon. He's taking no profits from this. He made it so cheap so that you'd buy multiple copies and give them out. You got to go on Amazon and buy this. The book of love and prayer. It's 10 books in one. It's unbelievable. Whatever page you open up to it, there's something life-changing on it. So I opened up to a page, and I've been quoting this ever since. This was like a whole 30 seconds of Torah study, okay? Rabbi Nachman says, at first, there's just you. Then, next level, there's you and God. And then, the final level, third level, you realize it's only God. That's it. Okay, so how do we see it? See, that's what I'm talking about with the, uh, with the whole black light thing, with the game pieces. All that's going on is God. But, but unless, you, unless you understand that that, that, that nature is just the most beautiful garment it's not a lie. Chas v'shalom. God forbid you should think of nature as a lie. Although one of the, one of the mystical world, words for this world in the, in the holy books is, believe it or not, this is called the, the Olam HaSheker, which means the world of lies. That's kind of a, a, stark, a stark way of putting it. It's kind of a tough way of saying it. But, um, but, but, but it's a beautiful garment. That's, that's what you got to think of it as. It's a beautiful, beautiful garment, right? It's not mes- meant to mislead. It's not, it's not meant to mislead. But, but it can mislead if we don't understand what it is. Okay, so now I want to go deeper. Listen to this awesome thing. One of my favorite teachings, okay? So, so when Avraham Avinu, so Avraham is like, telling the whole world this, this radical piece of information that the only power in the world is God. And there was a great dictator, the first dictator of the world, by the way. His name was Nimrod. Nimrod is feeling kind of threatened by Avraham because Avraham is saying there's only one power in the world, and that's God. So, so Nimrod decides, oh, I know what, I'll kill Avraham. <laughs> that, that'll make everything very simple. So what does he do? He throws him in this, this furnace, this, these fiery flames. And this triggers 
a big conversation in heaven. All right? So how does it go? So, so in heaven, the angel of ice says, God, let me go down there and I'll put out the fire. Because, you know, if I just kind of ice it, you know, Avraham gets saved and no more fire. Every, everyone wins. And then Gavriel, who's the angel of fire, says something unbelievable. He says, no, God, no, no, no. Why don't I, the angel of fire, put out the fire? Now, fire can't put out fire. So, so what was Gavriel saying? What was his argument? His argument was, if you let the angel of ice put out the fire, then what's going to happen is people will think that there's two powers. There's you, God, and there's nature. And that you, God, are stronger than this other power called nature. You've got an ice that can put out its fire. But if the angel of fire puts out fire, then everyone will see there's only one power in the world. There's only one power. It's only God. It's only God. Okay. And so God says, okay, you got the job. (laughs) Go ahead, do it. So Gabriel comes down and the angel of fire puts out fire, which is miraculous, can happen. But it shows that, that, that God is running everything. All right, so now how does this connect back to the menorah? Believe it or not, Gabriel is also participating in the, in, the, in, in the fiery vision that Moshe sees of the menorah. Because Moshe at first doesn't quite know how to make the menorah. And he sees this menorah of fire, okay? And Gabriel plays a part in that as well. Okay, and remember, there's only one power. When we talk about angels, no one should get confused. They're not separate powers. These are just manifestations and extensions of God's will. That's all angels are. So don't pray to angels. Very important. We can identify them just like we can identify each other, but they're emanations of the only the only power, which is God. Okay. So now we can learn a very important lesson from the construction of the menorah. And, um, you know, we're talking about our situations right now. You know, just, just so no one should think that we stop talking about what's going on in the world today. Um, but let's just review. Before we go deeper into this, I just want to review where we're at. We're talking about the fact that God is... You know, I said it Friday night for those who heard. I, ever since I heard this term, busting a move, uh, it's kind of like from the rap world, you know. I, I, I've loved it ever since. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, God is busting a move. He's busting a move big time right now. Um, so, so, and it's good. But remember, we've got two kinds of good. We've got the good that we understand right away. That's like the honey good. That's the revealed sweet good. And we've got the type of good which is so good we don't have vessels for it. And when we don't have vessels to receive this type of light, sometimes it can even manifest as calamity. Okay? You know, just just so we understand this idea on another level, one of the deeper understandings of the plague of darkness in Egypt was that it was actually a light so bright that the Egyptians didn't have vessels to receive it. So they experienced that great light as darkness. And and that's what it is. If you don't have vessels, 
great light can be coming down, but for us, it manifests itself as darkness. So if God is really pouring great light into the world right now, that means we have to stretch our vessels in order to be able to receive it as light and not, God forbid, as calamity and not, God forbid, as darkness. So how do we do it? How do we stretch our vessels? This is what we've been talking about the whole time, okay? And the answer is, we've got to break our habits. We've got to, if you break your habits, and that's what God is doing with the whole world right now. He's breaking everybody's habits. If you break your habits, you stretch your vessels, and now all of a sudden you have room to appreciate all the good that's going on. You say, wait a second. Wow, I'm alive. There's a world. Wow. I've been so distracted with all these responsibilities and all these things that I thought that was the only thing that existed. Now I realize I'm participating in something something so much greater, something so much more. So I want us to get to the next level now. Breaking habits is tool number one, practical tool number one, to expand our vessels to receive more light. Now I want to talk about practical tool number two, okay? For stretching our vessels. And we're going to learn it from the construction of the menorah, which is light, which is faith, right? That's what the Zohar says, light is amuna, light is faith. So we're going we're gonna to get another, another practical tool. Okay. Um, there's a big secret to how the menorah was built. And, and, and God instructs us what, what the secret was. It's very, very interesting. And again, counterintuitive. You, you wouldn't have thought it, okay? It had to be made from one piece of gold. One piece of gold. Now, the reason why that's counterintuitive is because picture the menorah in your mind right now. It's got seven branches on it. Now, if I were to make the menorah, here, here's how I personally would have done it. I would have made the central pole, and then I would have made the, you know, each branch, and I would have soldered on each branch onto the central pole. You get it? That's, I think, how most people would have made it. And I think that when you've got menorahs, that's probably how most of them are made. And you'll see, like, right where the branch hits the central pole, you'll see, like, a little area where it was soldered on there, a little melted metal there, you know? God says, don't do that. God says, no, no, no. I want the whole thing to be made from one piece of gold. Now, I saw an insight in the, in the Art Scroll Chumash, and I'm going to build on it, that I thought was fascinating. They said, you know something? Now, you have to understand that um, we talk about Or Torah, the light of Torah. All right? Light means wisdom. It means faith. And faith is a deeper form of wisdom, by the way. You know, Reb Shlomo gave, I think, one of the best, best, best definitions of faith. He said, 
You see, we think faith is guessing. But faith is so much deeper than guessing. Reb Shlomo says, faith is knowing, but it's knowing on a soul level. I'm going to say that again, because that's an essential teaching. Okay, we think faith is guessing, right? I hope I guess right. I hope I guess right. I'm doing all this stuff. I hope I'm guessing right. Okay, that's not it. Faith is knowing, but it's knowing on a soul level. Okay? That's 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 an awesome teaching. So so the menorah represents this conduit, this light that's coming down from heaven and it's coming into us and then we are expressing that light. As such, the the menorah stands for what we call the Torah Shabal Peh which means the, the, the oral law or, or the, the Talmud or the Gomorrah. In other words, it's, it's God is filtering his light through us. And then our Torah commentary is an extension of the light that's coming through us. Okay. And that's why it has to be taken from one piece of gold. Because here's the insight from the art scroll. If I take branches and I solder them on, I am putting my understanding onto God's light. I'm going to put my shtick, my agenda, and I'm going to call it God's will. Does everyone hear? But if it's just one piece, then it's just God's light flowing through us as opposed to me putting my ideas and my own shtick onto the Torah. Now, let's be clear about something. In both instances, the negative and the positive, there's still a role for my creativity and for me to be able to uncover and add beauty to the Torah. But God is filtering it through me, so there's a truth to it. The other version is, I'm using my creativity, but I'm wrong. See, it's, it's possible to come up with something beautiful that's also incorrect. My, my sister told me one time something. She was learning it and she was getting her PhD and she, she learned this awesome thing. I remember there were two things that she said at the same time that always stay with me. The, this first one doesn't connect, but I'll share it with you anyway, because I'm thinking of it, which is that reading is externally guided thinking. <laughs> Isn't that good? <laughs> I'll say it one more time. It's, I love it. A definition for reading. Reading is externally guided thinking. Okay, that's okay. But now let's get back to the point. The other point is, that it's possible to learn new, incorrect pieces of information. (laughs) You see, we tend to think, the more I learn, the more I know. But it's possible to learn new, incorrect things. That's something that's very humbling. Very, very humbling. See, because 
And, and it's, a, it's a real recommendation, especially if you want to learn Torah. Only learn Torah from great sources. Just learn Torah from kosher sources. That's something I'm, I'm very, very big on. Because if you're learning it from people who are... I mean, the Torah says that you should just learn... You know, I'm embarrassed to say it because who am I, right? And here I am, like, saying over Torah thoughts. But, but, but you've got to learn Torah from, from, from people who, who, who's, who, who are living the Torah as best they can. And, and who are living, living it... You know, like we talk about classic Coke... You want people who are doing the classic Coke version of Torah, okay? That's the, that's the, that's the idea. <laughs> I think, I think we, we we all understand this because otherwise we can learn new incorrect things, which means that we open ourselves up to computer viruses, so to speak. You know, which can sort of short circuit and and just sort of like, kind of like. We're coming from a good place, and yet we got all confused because because we we absorbed outside agendas, branches soldered onto it instead of it just kind of flowing in the purest way. Okay. Um. So. So I want to relate this idea back to oneness. Because here you see that light and wisdom, it's all coming from above and it's flowing through us. It's all oneness. It's all oneness. There's no nature. There's this beautiful external coat, so to speak, that God enrobes him with, which are trees and fields and skyscrapers and like computers and airplanes and like, you know, bunnies and chihuahuas and all these like amazing things. But this is, this is an outer garment that, that God has put around him. But the ultimate is just to see the oneness, to be able to interact with God through the vehicle of the physical while we're still in a body. And then ultimately will be able to just be souls basking in God's light, but not to be distracted by all of this stuff. Okay, so, so practical tool number two is, let me just make it very real right now. I heard Rabbi Green say this, and ever since he said it, it's been, it's been really, really, um, really just echoing in my head. He said, you can't understand the Torah unless you fix your personality, unless you refine your personality. And this is getting back to the idea of putting external things onto the menorah, not making it one piece. If I'm an angry person, when I read a passage from the Torah, it's like, yeah, God's smiting them. You know what I mean? Because I'm just projecting my own anger onto the text. And now we're having a war with the Midians, right? 
Yeah, I can't wait to smash them and destroy them because I'm an angry guy. But that's, that's not what it is. So, so if, we, if we allow ourselves to just receive the light of what the Torah is actually saying, then it can filter through us in the most beautiful, organic way. And, 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 and our ears all of a sudden become open to actually hearing what's, what's being said since, since the Torah was revealed. Because our sages, teach, our sages teach that the call from Mount Sinai, the voice from Mount Sinai when the Torah was given, has actually never stopped. This is an incredible thing. And I heard Reb Shlomo saying the name of Rebbe Nachman. You ready? Because he, they're going to ask the question that you have in your head right now, which is, if it never stopped, why can't, why can't I hear it? And you're ready for this answer? Because it's, it's a devastating answer. Reb Shlomo said it in the name of Rebbe Nachman, because there's so much anger in the world. There's so much anger in the world that it's drowning out that, that sound, that call. You know, I don't know how much I learned at Harvard, but maybe, maybe the biggest lesson that I learned, I was in this book about, I was in this book, in this class, freshman year. It was taught by like this very diminutive, I think he was from, I don't know, the Netherlands, or maybe he was from Germany. And he was this like elderly professor. And he had this accent. And it was all about kind of, it was a class about peace. And he ended it by just saying in the most simple way, and I wasn't even observant religiously at this time in my life. I was, I guess, 19 at this moment. And he just said in the most humble, simple way, he said, turn to the person to your left, turn to the person to your right. When you can get along with them, there will be peace in the world. And that was it. <laughs> I think I think that may have been the biggest the biggest thing I learned in any classroom there. Because the crazy thing is, see, God is working on so many different levels. And one of the most profound levels that God is working on is that each one of us is a microcosm of all of creation. We have a soul that stands for heaven. We have a body that stands for earth. So each one of us is heaven and earth. Each one of us. And if you can kind of get it right with yourself, you fix yourself, you fix the world. So a lot of us feel very... Um, the opposite of empowered, whatever the opposite of empowered is. We're alone in our houses or we're with, you know, our families, but we're cut off from the rest of the world. We're cut off from our work. We're cut off from our community. We're cut off from, from everyone. 
But can I tell you something? You are in touch with the entire universe because you yourself, each one of us is the whole universe. You fix yourself, you fix the world. All right, I just, I want to end with two things. Um, I want to end with two things. One is kind of like a, a crazy thought, but I just got it into my head, like before we started. And um, what if I told you, what if I told you that all of us right now were in heaven? What if I told you right now, all of us right now, we're all in heaven? So most probably you would say to me, what are you talking about? God is in heaven. God is all the way up there. But what if I told you that your whole notion of earth, that even if on an unconscious level, you were defining it this way, maybe you weren't doing it intentionally, but maybe you thought God is in heaven and earth is where I am. But now we know the truth. There is no such thing as earth and nature are the same thing. There is no such thing as nature. And God is equally here as he is in heaven. <laughs> so that means in a very real way. Okay, now listen, there are heavens and the heavens of heaven. So, you know, heaven gets more and more exalted. But as a baseline... Let's just appreciate that right now all of us are swimming in the light because that's the reality of our existence. And when we break our habits, when we remove the shoes from our feet, right? When we remove the locks from our habits, when we unchain ourselves and allow ourselves to see actually what's there, we'll realize all of us right now are swimming in the light. I want to end with this story that, uh, that I really love. I have to thank Stewie Wax for posting this on the, uh, on the Happy Minion uh, chat group. So it's a, a classic Hasidic story about the Noam Elimelech, Rabbi Elimelech of Lezhensk, and Rebzusha, right? His brother, his holy brother, holy of holies. And um, there was a practice back in the day that, that, that great people, our greatest people, our greatest holiest sages, Rebbe's, like they would dress up like beggars and they would leave the town where people knew them and they would wander from village to village as beggars. No one would know who they were. No one treated them with respect. And the idea was for them to experience um, the exile of the Shekhinah. Okay? You see, as, as, as Rabbi Green said one time, if you were to go up to God and ask God, how are you doing? God would say, great, I'm doing great. I am doing fantastically well. And yet, there is an aspect of God 
which longs to bless all of us with so much good, and it pains God, so to speak, that he's not, a, that he's not able to give us all the good that he wants to give us because we haven't made vessels for it. So there is this aspect of God that is in pain. So when we talk about the, the, the exile of the Shekhinah, that's what we're talking about. All the good that God wants to bring into the world that he's not able to because we're not, we haven't made vessels for it yet. So, so the Rebbes, the holy people, the Vilna Gon did it. The Vilna Gon did it too. Would dress up like beggars and they would go into exile where they're not known to experience this, this sort of divine existential pain of not being known, just like God's not known by so many people in the world. So, so they're wandering around and they join up with another group of beggars, right? And there's, there's, a, there's a robbery that's committed in this particular town that where they are. So the, what the police do is the first thing they do is they, they round up the beggars and they throw them all in jail. Right? It's got to be one of these people, right? So it comes time to pray and the Noam Elimelech starts to, you know, gets ready to daven. And his brother, his holy brother, the Rebbe, Rebbe Zusha, says, you know, you, you, you can't daven in here. And he points to a pail, a bucket, in the corner of the, the jail cell where that they were using as a bathroom, you know, not to, not to get too graphic here, but you can imagine. And, uh, and, and the halacha is, the law is, that you can't daven in a place where there's open waste. And now Rebeli Melech is, is like, like depressed. He's like, I... I want to dive into Hashem and I can't dive into Hashem because of that. And Reb Zusha says, no, 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 don't, don't be depressed. Because the halacha is, Jewish law says, it's a mitzvah not to daven where, where there's this, this, this type of bucket. So by not davening right now, you are serving God and doing a great mitzvah. And Rebbe Limelech says, you mean by not davening right now, I'm doing a mitzvah? And, and, and Rebbe Zusha says, you're doing a mitzvah right now. And he says, I'm doing a mitzvah. And the two of them start dancing in the jail cell. They're so happy, they like break out dancing. And now the, the guard of this like jail like is like so upset. What are these two Jews doing dancing? They're so happy. He says, why are they dancing? And another person in the jail cell says, I don't know. They were talking about that bucket. And then all of a sudden they got so happy they broke out dancing. He says, well, I'll show them. I'm going to take that bucket out of the cell. <laughs> so he removes the bucket from the jail cell. And, and now they can daven. Okay. This is another one of those stories that all of life is contained in that story. You see, as, as the poet Goethe said, in boldness, there's magic. And to give you the Jewish version of that, in simcha, in simcha, in happiness, in joy, there's magic. Simcha can transform the reality. It creates like a domino effect 
on us and on the people around us. And all of a sudden you're able to see what's really there. The Ari HaKodesh, right? Our greatest Kabbalist said that he reached the levels that he was able to reach because of Simcha. Because Simcha expands the consciousness, it expands the mind, and you're able to climb levels, and you're able to get insights, and you're able to become a repository for the light to flow through. And you're able to have those glasses that, a- that allow you to see through this superficial reality into what's actually there. And for all of us to remember that this movie that everyone is sitting and biting their teeth and wondering how it's going to end, you've, you all already know the ending. You all already know the ending. God, who's the only power in the world, reveals his oneness. And all of us get to serve God at that point in total joy, with total clarity, in total truth. Okay. Thank you so much for allowing me to share these words and for for being part of this. Um, And uh, what do you say? Like anyone who's got to go, please go. But um, yeah, I hear you. So let me, let me tell you. So how do you, how do you um, kind of share this perspective with someone who's not, not, not seeing it, you know, um, non-believer or whatever it is. By the way, we have this awesome, uh, this awesome kind of um, yesod foundation, which is that everyone believes, everyone believes. And if people tell you they don't believe, they're lying or they're not in touch with that aspect of themselves. That may be a more generous way of saying it, but everyone does believe, you know. Um, so anyway, what, what I would suggest is if, if, and this is true in general when talking to people, if you try to um, force a level of awareness on people who aren't ready for it, they will experience it as darkness. You know, you're, like we were saying in Egypt, it was a very great light, but the Egyptians experienced it as darkness. So you have to be very, very sensitive when you share spiritual ideas with people, because if they're not ready for them, it will actually set them back and, and, and create more darkness in the world, even though that's not what your intention is. So the very first thing I would say is, is that you have to like, um, you have to bond with them and you have to actually become even closer with them. And so I'm going to tell you this story. It's, it's one of my favorite stories. I learned it from Reb Shlomo. And it's about um, it's about the Menachem Mendel of uh, of Vorka, and and he was the the son of the first Vorka Rebbe, and he was also known as the Silent Rebbe, and he was known among other things uh, of being great with horses. You'll you'll see how that uh, plays in a little bit later in this story. So so it goes like this: someone um, comes up to the Rebbe. He arrives in his horse in his wagon, and he's desperate. His wife is in the middle of childbirth. And so this is approximately maybe 200 years ago. And, you know, ch- childbirth uh, back, back in the day was really much more so than today, life and death. And people 
die during childbirth. This was a, you know, a, God forbid, but a fairly regular thing. And his wife was having a very, very hard time. And he says to, to, to the Rebbe, he says, please pray, pray for my wife. You know, she, she's going through this very difficult labor. And, and the Vorka Rebbe, you know, he, he starts, you know, just kind of tuning in. And he says, I'm sorry, all the gates are closed. And that was it. <laughs> I mean, it was, you know, not what he was hoping for, not what he was expecting. So what is he going to do? So he gets on his horse and carriage and he rides away. And sometime later, like maybe it may have been like an hour or two hours later, sometime later, he all of a sudden hears the person who had, you know, whose wife was in labor, like hard galloping, hard, hard galloping behind him. And he turns around and he sees it's the Vorka Rebbe, like riding. Like I told you, he was good with horses, right? He was famed for that. And so he gets out of his carriage, out of his, out of his wagon, and the Rebbe comes up to him and he says, he says, after you left, I realized there is something I can do for you. And, and he says, what? And he says, I can cry with you. And the two of them sit down on the ground and the Vorka Rebbe just starts crying and crying and crying and crying. And at a certain point, in the middle of all this crying, he says, Mazel tov. <laughs> He understood that his wife had just delivered the baby at that point. So, you know, the first thing that we can do if we want to share these things is first we've got to become better friends with whoever the people are. First, so to speak, we've got to be able to cry with them. And then, and then you take it a step at a time. But sometimes we're, we're running with the football before we've caught it. We're doing the next step before we do the first step. Because you have to understand, these ideas are the closest, most intimate ideas to a person. And it's like, you know, when you, when you walk into a person's house, you don't go straight into their bedroom. You don't go into their bedroom. And these thoughts, so to speak, you know, the Holy of Holies, this is very, very, very deep, by the way, the Holy of Holies in the Beis HaMikdash, in the Holy Temple, you know, that was called God's bedroom. So these thoughts about God and about where they are with God and the Torah and things like that, this is, so to speak, the the inner chambers of a person's life. This is, so to speak, their bedroom, if you will. And, and we can't just walk into each other's bedrooms, you know? You've got to be invited into that place. And, um, and in a time of sorrow, in a time of calamity, maybe, maybe it begins with crying with someone. Okay. Is there a, 
Is there someone else? Does anyone else have a, another question? I have a um, yeah. quick question. Yeah. Uh, it says on my screen that this is recording. How can I hear this whole talk again? How can I watch it again? Um, I'm going to refer you to um, Yehuda. So if you're not on it already, please sign up for the newsletter so you get um, an email with the link. And David, if you guide me, if you can, uh, I'd be glad to post it to Torah at iTunes, a link somewhere there that people can click on as well. Okay, great. And when you, when you post that link, can you put my website as well? Because then they'll get the invitation from me directly as well. And that's uh, TorahOnitunes.com. Yeah. Um, does anyone else have a... A question? That's a question. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Eva. So, David, um, earlier over the past year, you advised me about, of course, a personal matter with my father. It, it's speaking from some parallel or similar situation with your father. And, of course, like the subtext of all, all of that and the themes can't possibly be conveyed to people. But you, you helped me through a hard time. And my dad had a certain level of triumph. Unfortunately, it didn't wasn't physically enduring. Now here we are in this situation, and I often feel his presence, of course, but I do wonder to myself, as much as I, it was hard to lose him physically, and yesterday, Friday was his yard site, so I... Yes, Neshama Shevin Aliyah. Amen. Amen. Your parents also. Amen. Um, that I, if he were here, and I, I imagine that people have their own versions of this, and it's not an easy thing to convey, but... Uh, I, it would all be for the good either way. But if he were here, I would, I would never would I have imagined that I would be feeling a certain level of relief that he's not physically here. Right. And over the last couple of weeks, I've had more than three times of being like, boy, I don't know if, you know, I don't know if we could do this. You know, I don't know if my dad would be up for hearing these because he would watch the news all the time. So what's my question is, um, and I, I reference, I reference your, your, your father and your parents because, can you speak? You spoke about we're in heaven, but that's a, that, that is a dual, probably a helpful duality. We're in heaven, but like like he's right here. <laughs> you know, all of our loved ones are right here, right. but we're still in this level of heaven where you know, thank God, we're still functioning within these versions of God's supernatural world. Can you do you understand what I'm asking? Can you speak to that sort of delicate balance between feeling totally one, but also yeah. keeping in mind that. So I, I don't know if I, I'm fully understanding, but I'll go with what I understand that you're that you're saying. So so the thing is, is that you see, uh, there there is this. Um, so Torah is a very. I, I heard Rabbi Beryl Wine say this, and and it made a big impression on me, which is that Torah is a very sophisticated path, and by sophisticated. It means that you have to balance a lot of opposites at the same time. So, so the the idea is, and I've been telling this story, and I'll just tell it again because it's it's such a good story, and and it's it relates to what I how I want to answer what you're saying. So this this story is in Holy Brother, and there was a little boy who was driving with his father, and and he he asked his father. And I met his father. I met the person from this from this uh, from this story. Um, the boy asked his father, "Is this world real or is it a dream?" 
And the father said, "That's a, that's a great question. Let me, let me. So, so I'm gonna. I'm, I'm. The reason why I'm telling you this is when you when you hear, is this world real or is this world a dream? Substitute in your mind, is this? Are we on earth or are we in heaven? You understand? Okay. So, 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 so he said, that's a great question. Let me ask Reb Shlomo. So Reb Shlomo said, this world is real." in God's dream. So, so in other words, there is a reality to everything around us. We, we can't, listen, I heard a story, this is like a disaster story, okay? This is like a worst case scenario story in terms of personality traits. It was um, a, a couple of quote-unquote religious people, and it was told to me by someone who was in the car with these quote-unquote religious people. They hit a parked car, <laughs> okay, and then they drove on and they went goshmius, meaning materiality. <laughs> you can't damage someone else's property and then go, ah, materiality. No, that's not Torah. That's not Judaism. We have to be incredibly respectful of each other's property. We have to be incredibly respectful of each other's feelings. We have to be incredibly respectful, you know, just in general of the laws of nature, right? We can say, I believe so much. I'm going to throw myself in front of this car and that's going to, the car can't hit me because the car isn't real because it's all a dream. So, so this, this would be a, um, this is why they tell young people don't learn Kabbalah, because if you are, if you, if a person doesn't have the level of sophistication to say what's real is real, even though it's just emanations of God's light, but it's real and I have to respect it. I can't put my hand in the fire. I cannot put my hand in the fire. Right? Until a person is sophisticated enough to be able to balance these levels, they shouldn't be learning these ideas because they're going to, um, they're going to from a, 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 a place of um, spirituality and goodness and everything like that. Like, I'll give you another of one of my all-time favorite terrible examples. Here's a terrible example. This was, um, this is actually... This was not a Jewish person, but but something that you know people might fall into. They they were they were driving on the freeway, and I don't know how fast they were going. If you're driving on the freeway, you could be going, you know, sixty miles an hour or more, right? And they saw a bumper sticker on the car in front of them, right, going on the freeway on the highway, and it said, "Let go, let God." <laughs> And they thought, oh, of course, what am I, what am I doing holding on to the steering wheel? And they let go. Okay, this is what we don't want. We do not want this level of religiosity. So, so there comes a balance where someone is able to look at the world around them, the people around them, the fact that we have a certain number of years in this world, 
that we have to respect time. We have to respect time, right? That time is real and that we're going to be accountable for our time. And that at the, at the end of 120, God is going to say, what did you do with your time? And, and we can't say, oh, I just thought none of it was real and I was just waiting to die and whatever. Like, 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 like we're managing tangible assets right now in this world. But we have to look at it with two eyes. One, it's reality. And the other, that all we're doing 24-7 is interfacing with God. Okay? Okay. So, does anyone else? Okay, thumbs up. Does anyone else have a have a question? Um Okay, maybe maybe not. Maybe maybe we're done. Okay. So listen, I want to thank you all for tuning in. I really 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 appreciate it. And um you know, like I say, um Unless things change around in the world, we'll, we'll, we'll shoot to do this again next Sunday at 10.15 a.m. Los Angeles time. Um, and if you want to get the link sent to you, uh, go on and subscribe on Torah on iTunes.com. And then also um, anyone interested in looking at this lecture again or whatever it is, um, Yehuda's going to post that um, uh on the Happy Minion website, I think he said. The website. I included a link uh, to the newsletter where you could sign up. And then we're gonna, uh, when we send out the email, uh, you'll get a link to the actual video. And you'll have a week to look at it a little bit longer on Torah type iTunes. Okay, great. Thank you, guys. Have a great week. Have a great week. Let's break some good habits. I mean, let's break some bad habits and make good habits. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We do this every week, so join in again next Sunday for our new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them. <laughs>